What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately, and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com. With us today is Nikolai Chen Nielsen, the Director of Transformation Services at Pecan, a, a workday company, and a partner at the Super Trends Institute. He has co-authored two best-selling books, Return on Ambition and Leadership at Scale. We'll be talking about what we can learn about our ambition and how to best manage it, how to listen to the voice of employee and impact employee engagement, and how organizations can create environments where ambitious people thrive. He joins us today from Italy. Nikolai, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you. Great to be here. So let me start by telling our listeners and viewers just how I found you. I was minding my own business. I was traveling in, in Sacramento, California in January of this year. I'm in the airport, and this book calls me from across the airport and return and visually. Look how gorgeous this thing is. Literally, I'm walking through the airport. I'm not even planning to stop in the bookstore, and the thing just was a beacon. It just summoned me. So that's how I found you. And of course, I've been, I've had this on my shelf. So you are an organic source, Nikolai. Normally, my authors come to me through public relations representatives who say, hey, do you want to have my, my, my author on your show? I found you organically on my own. So thank you for saying yes to joining me on the show. No, I'm so happy to hear your story and that you picked it up. And, and as you mentioned earlier, you read, you read the book. I'm very happy about it. I do that. I sort of have this habit of reading these things cover to cover. So um, so let's open this show if we can. I think it's really interesting that the idea of addressing this notion of ambition. So the word itself, I'm very aware, smacks differently for people, positively or negatively. So let's start with how you define ambition. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's It was really one of the first questions my, my co-author and I, we... Um, we looked at because, as you mentioned, different cultures, different people define ambition very differently. And we felt like none of them actually really hit the mark. Um, and as we were looking into it as, as part of our research, we made a slightly different ambition uh, definition, which we think is quite ambitious. <laughs> um, so we define it as a future state, which is different from today, uh, challenging to get to, personally meaningful, and one which you have a strong yearning and drive to get to. Right? So it's this notion that there's a future out there that you really want to get to. It's not easy to get to, but you want, you're want you driven to do so. Mm-hmm. What I love about that, Nikolai, of course, is there's just such, I love the energy behind that. I love the passion behind that. I love the intensity behind that. And I just am so aware that, you know, when you think about what can you do with your one precious life, ambition is such mm. a powerful resource, right? So 
love that you have taken a whole book to treat it and how we can actually productively steward it. That's also really important. And so um, you said in, in our introductory conversation that ambition has been a big part of your life. How so? Yeah, it definitely has. Um, as far back as I can remember, I've always just wanted to do something out of the ordinary. Uh, even as a child at that time, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And this is at you know age four and five. And I guess at that time, you don't really know better than just what's what's uh, your dream. And my dream was to be the world's best soccer player. And I watched the World Cup and you see all the people on TV. And that was just what I wanted to do. And even throughout my, my teens, I was still going for that ambition. I was training every day after high school. So, you know, living very much not a, a normal life, uh, but simultaneously focusing on getting good grades and having a social life and kind of wanting it all at the same time. And that's continued ever since. Mm -hmm. And listeners and viewers, I don't even know how many times the, the, the word soccer or football is sprinkled in the book, but it's fantastic. Now I know, now I better understand why. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so then the other thing that's really awesome about what you do in the book, you know, because it's this notion, you say it right in the beginning, Nikolai, about the this notion of ambition is such an important resource in our lives and it needs to be stewarded and handled well in order for us to have that optimal return on ambition. So what I appreciate too is you render that critical formula of a healthy balance between achievement, growth, and well-being. And so and you've been studying the effects of, of ambition who, and people put forth great efforts in service of their ambition. And at, and you've noticed that, that oftentimes that's at, at the expense of their health and their relationships. Tell us more about that. Yeah, the, the title Return on Ambition is a little bit of a provocation because you have it in business, return on assets, return on uh, investment and so forth. And when you think about ambitious people, they're their efforts, their time, their resources that they put into their ambitions are often the biggest investment that they are making in their life. Uh, they're so driven to get there. And often it's a little bit, it's very subconscious and is not really measured in a systematic way. And of course, it's not going to be a perfect measurement for what your return on ambition is, but we tried to do our best to actually make one. And what we found, um, you mentioned those three elements of achievement, growth, and well-being. We find that people who are successful and fulfilled over time and who would say they have a high return on their ambition, they balance these three elements of achievement, growth, and well-being. Um, and any imbalances that they might have are the result of a very deliberate choice that they took, and it's, it's short-term in nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work to have a, a, an imbalance in one of them over time because it'll pull down the other two. So the most obvious one is well-being. If you're um, nearing burnout or if you're just working too much, it's going to pull down your levels of achievement. Uh, over time, it's going to pull down your level of growth, but it works the other way too. We have had a lot of cases where people actually um, get burned out because they feel like they're not growing. They mm -hmm. feel bored. They feel like they've stagnated. And the same goes for achievement. If you're not achieving, you definitely feel like you're not doing what you're meant to be doing in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I also appreciate that you also address specifically in the book that you've seen people where if they, when they pursue their ambitions, obviously it's it, it is sometimes greatly at the expense of their relationships or their health um, and right and and I can I can probably say in some ways I'm guilty of that um, and so part of the reason I probably picked up your book it called me is because I do consider myself an ambitious person as we spoke about and there's so much more I want to do and what I also mm. appreciate about your book is I love that you've created a as you say a democratic coaching sort of mechanism to be able to offer anyone this the coaching that you you created in the book and you're teaching us how to be able to steward that journey which is just brilliant really want to call out and thank you for that it's gorgeous yeah it's um thank you for that and it's uh 
it's very much um, it was really fulfilling to write the book because it was part of my personal journey for many years and we looked at ambition for for, for more than six years as a research topic and we found that the vast majority of working professionals across any industry whether it's the arts the sports music entrepreneurship and so forth would say they're ambitious but they often struggle so it's a huge gap and that stewardship of this valuable resource is ultimately what's what's needed to make humanity a better place mm -hmm. i agree and you know where i've kind of come from nikolai is i i love your word you know provo provo provocation that your book is provoking um that's mm. what i stand to do as well because i'm really out to awaken people to their passion and purpose and then do something with it because the world needs that and your life is often so much more fulfilling when you do reach for that so i appreciate the the recipe that you've given us to be able to help better manage that and then further, um, you talk about, um, I appreciate too, this helps us really get more granular on the matter because ambition sounds like just, oh, it's just this big broad banner, but you really help break it down for us. And yet you talk about there are four premises of ambition. Will you address each one of those? Yeah, because ambition is very, uh, it's very personal. And mm -hmm. I think one of the gaps is when we try to pursue something which is an impersonal definition of ambition. Um, so one of the first steps we do in the book is to help people define a little bit more clearly what their ambition is. And we have um, four premises around uh, specificity, or is it is it specific or is it broad, number one? Mm -hmm. uh, is it unique or is it has it been done before? Is it relatively big or small from where you are today and your, your current skills? And then is it uh, one of many priorities or is it the literally the one thing that's on your mind during all of your waking and sleeping hours? Um, and we find that people actually answer it very differently. And there is there is no better or worse. Um, one example was uh, Jacinda Ardern, who was um, the youngest uh, female head of state in New Zealand, I think at age 37, an incredible story. But she was uh, very targeted. You know, she was always interested in politics. She joined the youth party uh, early on, became a member of parliament and then head of state. So it was a it was a quite, um, let's say, narrow focus in terms of what she wanted to do. And she knew she wanted to do that. That's how she felt she could give back most. While someone like Trevor Noah, he said he felt like dreams would, would limit him. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he I remember became, reading that. That was amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's incredible to see both of their paths to where they are today, but just having done the path so differently. Mm -hmm. I love also, by the way, the stories. They really help give us access to the, the, the concepts that, that you were describing. That just really makes it work. So thank you for that as well. And I'm a big fan of both of those people that you just, just mentioned. So gave me more mm, access to them as well. Okay, good. Good. Um, all right. So next one I want to cover, it was really quite interesting, Nikolai, that you talk about seven frenemies of ambition. And I'd like to talk about each one of them in turn. And um, I did identify which ones were mine, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so would you t would you take us through a tour of them, please? Yes, absolutely. Um, you mentioned the bring you having stories in the book and so forth. And, and we identified seven frenemies with the same spirit of wanting to um, make real what people actually feel with their ambitions and what they often feel is this dual pulling of things that, that help them that's a friend of ambition but at the same time sometimes holds them back and can become an enemy of, of ambition and that's mm -hmm. why we coined the term frenemy and we tried to bring them to life by giving them a character so the seven frenemies are things like competitiveness things like perseverance a strong desire a strong independence boldness flexibility um, and convention and they're all wonderful traits. If you're competitive, that's that's great. It'll help you get ahead. You know relatively where you are versus others and so forth. But that can also have a bit of a dark side. And the same goes for the other ones too. 
Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that just for a second here. For example, let's, I'll just, you know, be, I'll be, I'll be uh, candid and, and forthright. Um, I recognize myself heartily in, in, in independence. So could mm. you contrast for the listeners and viewers, the, the friend side and the enemy side of independence? Yeah. So independence on the friend side is the ability to get things done by yourself going a bit solo and not having to rely on others. Typically, you're very much of a self-starter and you're very much able to come through hard times even if um, you don't know exactly what to do. You have a bit of a mindset like, I'll figure it out. I, I can mm-hmm. do this. I trust myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the enemy side is when you fail to bring others on board. And that can either mean that the others actually don't know what you're doing if you're in an organization and not fully aligned to it or you don't get their input. Um, But certainly also it can hold you back because you don't learn from others. And and we had a fantastic story from Sanford Biggers, who's an amazing artist uh, based out of New York. And he was saying he had this independence frenemy and he had this idea that every piece of work that came out of his workshop had to have his, his hand, his brushstroke on it when all his other peers were setting up studios with lots of people working with them. And he felt at one time that it was just holding him back because A, he wasn't able to meet demand of of his art, but B, he actually wasn't learning from other people that he could have been working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the other brilliant thing that you do in the book is then you help us, you, you give us a root cause. Where does this stuff come from? And I recognized heartily that you said one mm. of the things, one of the ways that we develop independence as a frenemy is that we, uh, found ourselves doing group projects maybe in school early on and we were the only ones doing the work. <laughs> Everybody yeah. else kind of slacked. And I recognize that in myself and my daughter who's 18 has the same total, same thing going on. So I also appreciate that you distinguish the root causes of where this stuff comes from. It helps people understand much more about themselves when you mm. do that. Yeah, because the frenemies have been formed since early childhood. They, they are part of us. So the answer is not to get rid of them. And to some extent, you'll never really get rid of your frenemies. But it's about becoming aware. So you're managing them and they're not managing you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's do just one more before we take our first break. Um, can, we, can we address perseverance? Perseverance, that's a bit of a burning the midnight oil and <laughs> getting up early at the same time. Yeah, guilty over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, that's an interesting one. I think many of us uh, many of us have have been through that at some point. The ability to persevere. So it's a wonderful gift, whether you call it perseverance or determination or grit, uh, not giving up, getting through hard times, putting in the extra hours. I think the temptation is sometimes that um, our amount of hours worked is sometimes the the, the factor that we can control the most. Mm-hmm. So if we are overloaded, we feel like let me just work more, um, but more often than not that actually gets in the way because we are human beings we're not we're not machines and there is a finite number of hours where we can actually work at the best of our ability before we start making mistakes and just pulling down well-being and so forth mm-hmm. and you know I, also too i think that's when we start to see the the deterioration of relationships around us too if all we're doing is focused on realizing or working toward our ambitions at the expense of those relationships yeah yeah absolutely cool. all right well let's grab our first break here I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Nikolai Chen Nielsen, the Director of Transformation Services at PECON, a, week, a workday company, and he's also a partner at the Supertrends Institute. He has co-authored two best-selling books, Return on Ambition and Leadership at Scale. We've been talking about some of the major concepts that he covers in this first book. After the break, we're going to talk about the importance of listening to the voice of the employee and as it relates to employee engagement. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. Before we get into the program, I want to invite you to check out a book that I got out last November of 2020. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Invite, in, Unite Passion and Elite Cause. Um, I wrote it actually to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and to transform them into inspirational leaders that can create a, a place, a workplace, where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And I used the content to be able to work for my Vitally Inspired Leadership Program, as well as the Grab Your Gusto programs. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is Nikolai Chen Nielsen. He's the Director of Transformation Services at PECON, a workday company, and also a partner at the Supertrans Institute. He helps create human-centered and future-ready organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this next bit here, I can't resist asking you this question because you're so uniquely situated to be able to, to ask this. And we could devote a whole show to this, I'm sure, but you being a partner at the Supertrends Institute, you're focusing on the intersection of the latest trends and their implications on leaders and organizations. Would love to hear a few of those key trends that you see relative to people and technology emerging. Yeah, we could absolutely spend a whole segment talking just about that <laughs> question. Um, a lot of stuff happening and it's all coming together at the same time. Um, I'll try to try to be a little bit uh, succinct on, on the key ones. I mean, one is you can't avoid technology. Um, and I think the key difference today is that a sufficient number of technologies are actually growing at an exponential rate and they're converging. So things like uh, big data, things like sensors, Internet of Things, even things like robotics, of course, artificial intelligence, they're coming together to a point where they can take over a lot of the uh, or at least a part of the work that humans are doing today. So there's a big shift and we'll see that shift in the next three to five years. And um, any company that doesn't see themselves as a technology company today, that's that's already a bit of a red flag. So that's one big trend. Uh, we see trends in demographics, of course. It's the most diverse workforce um, the world has ever seen. You can count up to five generations and a, a new one coming along as well. And they have very, very different um, expectations and mindsets to, to a broad number of topics. Um, and then I would say, of course, COVID, we can't, we can't ignore that um, because it's just showed us within the space of weeks that work can be radically transformed. It's been through, uh, we've been forced to work from home a couple of years now almost. Um, and we haven't yet really defined what, what's coming out of it, but what we've seen is that it is possible to radically blow up the old ways of working to some extent. Mm -hmm. Which I find in eternally fascinating, of course, as a social scientist and as somebody who really cares about the world of work and making it a place that people can actually thrive in, that I've been very, very interested in all of those trends. So thank you for that incredibly mm -hmm. succinct explanation of kind of what's going on and shaping the world today. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is is the importance of giving employees 
voice at work. Uh, you talk about that as being very, very critical, and I'm fascinated to understand you. You have such an interesting and diverse background to draw from. So I'm interested to understand, one, why is that important? I mean, it, it, and, of course, what are the best companies doing to be able mm. to give voice to their employees and how they're listening to it, taking action on that? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the implications of the trend and what we just met and talked about, the, the the nature of the work is becoming very, very compartmentalized. They're very specific. Mm -hmm. um, it's becoming you're breaking it down into specific pieces, and we need we're needing to, in a much larger extent, learn along the way whether that's a marketing strategy or new product development or a process re or a process change. Um, so what, what that means in terms of the employee voice is that you need to constantly understand and do things better um, that's coming a little bit more bottom up, if you will. So organizations are becoming flatter and it's not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's because it's the, 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 the work itself has changed. You cannot just set the direction, the plan and expect to stick to it. You need to learn along the way and you need the people at the front who are doing the work to actually come with their own suggestions. So employee voice, if we talk a little bit about that, it's for me it has it has different levels. One level is helping employees or, or understanding what employees need, first of all. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's often not even asked, if you will. And that was absolutely vital during COVID, just asking how are you? How is it affecting mm -hmm. you? How do you need what what do you need? Because if you don't if you're not feeling safe or if you have a lot of other pressing demands in your life, it's very hard to bring your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. I think that the second level is then actually helping you do your job better. Again, it sounds simple, but it's really just helping you improve improve how you do the work, whether you're a sales leader or a sales rep or, or whatever it might be. We really want to understand. We want to help you, right? It's, it's not you helping us. We as a leader and the team actually want to enable you to do your job better. And concretely, that could mean things like growth opportunities or it could be um, stretch assignments and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then the third level of voice is around innovation. Well, I think when you can tap into employees on a more systematic basis, you can get a, a lot of insights about how things could be done differently and better. Mm -hmm. That was the subject of last week's conversation, by the way, on air. That's so interesting. So, so, um, so, of course, you know, the most obvious thing that I, I've certainly heard from the clients that I'm working with is there's such a resistance to this whole notion of, you know, remote work, virtual work. Is, but I can't see them. I'm not sure if they're actually getting things done and worry, worried about the collaboration and the connection to the heartbeat of the organization. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that particular aspect and trend? Yeah, I do get that question a lot around how do I know that they're, you know, they as in the employees are, are working. Um, and the question I always ask to ask is how did you know before? And mm. you know, just being able to see them is not a good enough answer. So do, did you have um, progress check-ins? Did you have score scorecard metrics and so forth? And the answer often is no. And if it's if that's the case, then it's more those things to address. And if, if you're working remotely and if you have a team dashboard, if you look at all of the online tools in the cloud, you can literally put a dashboard that everyone can see and contribute to and meeting notes and all that. And that's that's the better outcome. It's not an input metric of do I see you at work? It's an outcome of are you delivering uh, and achieving what we set out to achieve? Ooh, that was worth the price of admission right there, Nikolai. So instead of monitoring can I see my employees, so therefore I think they must be working, let's instead create some kind of a, a, a visual dashboard that everyone can see and, and monitor and know how they're, they're contributing to. That's brilliant. That makes so much sense. Thank you. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, I love taking it to the extreme because the extreme of this future of work and you look at the number of gig workers and so forth, but whether it's a gig worker or not, but the extreme is um, 
work is being broken down into small and smaller units, being much more project based. And the individual employee is having no fixed employer, no fixed working hours, no fixed working time, no fixed working holidays, and even no fixed, you could say, retirement age. Because what you are having is people coming together for a fixed amount of time, they're delivering something and then disbanding again. Like that's that's moving things forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just have to say thank you to Dan Pink, who I'm a fan of. Um, you know, he wrote Free Agent Nation so many years ago, and who, who knew this would be so spot on smack true of mm. so many people today. So so next I want to talk about engagement, Nikolai. It's so interesting. I've seen that word evolve in the 22 years that I've been in the human capital industry and it, it's gone from engaging resources, which seems mm. very passe, to fulfilling people. So what's the latest development term that we work with today? What does it mean to engage people? Well, I think the, uh, it, the definition of engagement about bringing your whole self to work is still an important one. But I would say probably a couple, two, two big shifts, if you will. I mean, one is engagement as an outcome, I think, is shifting more towards engagement as a process. Mm. And that's a little bit back to employee voice. So engagement as an outcome is still very, very important, absolutely. But there are a lot of other outcomes that engaging employees can also foster. Right? It can, it can help foster innovation. It can help foster uh, that you stay in the company longer and so forth. So it's a little bit of a broadening of the definition, and it's about that engaging as a as a verb. Right? We want to we want to talk with you. We want to act take action on your feedback. We want you as an employee to drive the change that you wish to see. Right? It's a very different ballgame than we're measuring engagement as an outcome, and you know that's ultimately what's going to define our success. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that that um, come that draws or, or connects you and I together, Nikolai, is that we we, we both have an interest in potential, and in, in working toward and realizing potential, and and so um, I'm interested in your perspective. You've got a vast amount of experience and work to to draw from and, and companies to draw from. What are some of the best practices you're seeing today that companies are using to increase increase or improve that engagement of their employees? Mm. The most leading edge companies on engagement, it's its a new data source. And I think that it's definitely a shift away from seeing it as a survey to seeing it as a new insight for the company. Because when you have an employee uh, feedback mechanism through technology to get employee sentiments, employee voice, you know, employee feedback, um, in a real-time fashion every week, employees get a certain number of questions. It's super easy. Uh, the algorithm can figure out who needs what questions. Then that becomes a real data source for the company. And then when mm -hmm. you're making decisions around like literally everything around employee well-being, retention, experience, but also things like how can we improve sales? What are the highest performing sales uh, agents doing versus the, the lower performing ones? It's a, it's a whole new insight that we didn't have before. So that's what the leading edge companies are doing. They're embedding it into their day-to-day -day decision making. Mm -hmm. So what is that then? Does that show up as like an email or does it show up as something on, on, their, on their phone or how do they get that invitation to give that feedback? Yeah, quite, quite broad. It could be an email. It could be integrated in things like Slack on your phone, okay. um, other apps, but even in, in specific moments that matter, right? If you're uh, the first three months uh, new hire in the, in the company or if you just get promoted, it can also be triggered when a, a significant moment that matters happens for that employee. Mm-hmm. I had uh, Marcus Buckingham on my radio show, well, I think it's been a couple years ago, talking about his book, The Nine Lies About Work. And one of the things that he really puts forward is the importance of people to feel 
their own individuality to, and to have that recognized in the workplace instead of just being you know a cog in the wheel and said this is how we do things at this company yeah. um, and and I find that and the work that I do with organizations is that um, that there there's such an opportunity to go looking for those individualities and in, inside inside people and in there so that we can we can draw that out and activate that um, can you speak at all to other best practices that you're seeing organizations do that that maybe do that well yeah, I think the um, the individuality at a meta level is just important because it it makes it, it's about congruency. It's about feeling totally at ease, psychological safety, um, as an individual at work. And it doesn't make sense to have a work mask and and trying to fit into something. Um, I think that that's kind of the meta level. But more more tactically, when you look at uh, drivers around freedom of opinion, uh, my mm -hmm. manager values my opinion. Uh, and of course, questions around diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've, I'm confident I won't be discriminated against. I have equal opportunity and so forth. Those are just absolutely the right things to do, but absolutely good for business as well. And that's, it's definitely, it's becoming mainstream. I would say the vast majority of companies are, they understand the criticality of this, are trying to do something about it. The effectiveness I think is still, is still um, a little bit to be determined, but it, because it's early days, but the, the, the aspiration is definitely there, which I think has been a, a wonderful shift, a positive shift the last few years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I hope so. That's certainly the world that I'm out to help create with, alongside you, of course, and, and others, other, other stewards in space. Um, are there any other best practices that you've seen that are, are really making a difference and making a dent in, in elevating the, the experience of employees and their engagement to their work? One interesting one has been the notion of moving from employee experience to employee life experience mm. to understand holistically what's going on in this person's life. And it definitely doesn't mean that the company or the organization is responsible for everything that happens outside of work. That's not realistic. But it does mean that the company or the organization tries to understand it and takes it into consideration and helps the employee to, to the best that they can uh, throughout things that might be outside of work. And COVID was one example when companies really leaned in. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of positive that came out of even all the devastation of, of the pandemic. You also had a lot of very inspiring examples of companies that just went in and did the right thing. They helped employer uh, employees with their uh, personal struggles and, and family members and so forth, really just because it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I also love that whole flow that, uh, you know, we've gone from work-life balance to work-life, I forget what the middle term is, and now it's really work-life harmony. Is mm. what we're what we're what we're aspiring for, which makes so much sense to me. So that I love that idea of the fluidity, in that and, and so you say the life experience of the employee, not just the work experience. I really really yeah. like that. I, I champion that too. That's gorgeous for our listeners and viewers. Yeah, absolutely. Let's grab our, our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Nikolai Chen Nielsen. He's the director of transformation services at Pecan, a workday company, and he's also a partner at the Super Trends Institute. He has co-authored two best-selling books, Return on Ambition and Leadership at Scale. We've been talking about the importance of giving employees voice and hearing and taking action on it and how that translates to engagement. After the break, we're going to talk about how organizations can create environments where ambitious people thrive. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other announcement before we get back to the program is I want to share with you that the anthology that I have been working on for the last two years just came out in August of 2021. It's called Passionately Striving and Why. And what I did was I scoured the world literally and found women, 25 women, who would actually share their very intimate story of how they've discovered their purpose and how they're now today serving from it. So it's meant to be a lifeline and a provocation or an invitation for the rest of us to come alongside. So I'm so proud of it I could bust. So that's out on Amazon as well. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Nikolai Chen Nielsen. He's the Director of Transformation Services at Pecan, a, week, a workday company, and also a partner at the Supertrends Institute. He helps create human-centered and future-ready organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Nikolai, I, I couldn't resist. And when you and I had this conversation on the phone and you talked about this being a topic of creating environments where ambitious people actually thrive, I couldn't resist, right? I know some of our, 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 our clients would love to hear about this. But before we get into that, I want to cover something that has become like regular everyday parlance, and that's around this notion of the great resignation. Um, and I certainly am seeing it in the work that I'm doing with clients. It, it really is wreaking havoc on leaders and com- companies trying to you know, find additional people to bring into their fold and people leaving and going elsewhere. So mm-hmm. I'm interested in your perspective. You have a very unique you know, finger on the pulse of what's happening in terms of trends across the world. So what's your perspective on what's driving the grand exodus of employees? Where are they going? Yeah, it's a big topic, absolutely. And um, for me, it's been a topic that's been bubbling under the surface. We'd seen uh, simmers of it for the last many years, um, but of course, the pandemic accelerated. So it's not—I don't—I for me, it's important to to always say it's not a result of the pandemic. It's just an—it's an acceleration because of mm. of what people have been through, and it's been bubbling under the surface because of a number of factors. If we think about different needs that people have, we have different types of needs and you could you could put them into different uh, levels of course Maslow did that many 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 years ago uh, but there's an element of truth that when you meet your lower level needs or your basic needs your foundational needs then you actually look for higher level ones or you strive for different things in life whether that's um, uh, making a difference in the world or fulfilling your unique potential and so forth so there has been a movement in general around minimalism some people call it you mm-hmm. know enoughism where you feel like hey you actually have enough of the foundational things in life and you want more. And I think people feel that with sometimes with work where instead of working for a paycheck, you actually want much more from work. You want you want to fulfill why you're here on earth. Right, yeah. I think we might have talked about this, Nikolai, but I have been researching meaning in work and its relationship to mm. identity for, I guess, over 20 years now. And I found these 15 modes of engagement. and. And yeah, so there's this really interesting whole phenomenon. If you look, and I did map it against Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of height of value, and then also the relationship to the person, whether they were expressing themselves or the work fit, mm. or et cetera. So I'm very, very intrigued with all of that. And and so that makes me then wonder. Uh, again, I you have a, such a great finger on the pulse, and I I love investigating society and people. 
I'm really interested in your perspective on how living and working in a pandemic has changed what people want from work. Is that part of what you said it, the you know the pandemic accelerated this sort of phenomenon, this trend? But I'm wondering yeah. is if there was something about that phenomenon that, that that we've been experiencing that has translated to what people want from work that's different than before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are the, the different trends that come together. Like the technology today allows us to do things that we could not do 10 years ago. Right. So mm -hmm. even just in a small space of 10 years, we can now actually work from anywhere, anytime, which we could not do 10 years ago. Um, and of course, for many, not all, a higher level of, of um, income or just general well-being. It doesn't mean that you have to have a lot of a lot of riches, but enough that you actually feel like you can make a bold decision. Perhaps that's also that definitely does change every decade when you look at it. Um, but then finally, with the whole with, with purpose and, and meaning, I think it doesn't only go for employees, but also consumers. Right? There is a shift to just more ethical consumption or um, mm -hmm. being very cognizant about what the company does and doesn't stand for, where they source their products. You, you also see this in some of the younger generations where this is a much, much bigger factor, factor in purchase decisions. Um, so I think it's all these things coming together where you're, you're, you're setting essentially a higher bar as an employee that you want, you're not just there for the paycheck. Actually, many employees, interesting, would be willing to go down and pay to do a job that, that's more meaningful for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a that's a big that's a big shift. So what is so gorgeous about what you just did there, Nikolai? You probably actually scared just several of the listeners and viewers off for just a second, but don't run away, listeners and viewers. What what you did, I believe, there is what you said is that in order for it to be a company where people actually want to come to work and stay, you, you kind of need to be up to something, and you got to be you got to be worthy of that person's values and their time, and that's a whole different thing than just hey, steady paycheck and benefits kind of thing. That's a whole different bar to have to go toward, and mm. and and that's what I'm seeing too, Nikolai. Is that as a conscious capitalist, that's I practice that as well, and a lot of my guests come on the show are talking very much about this notion of. Creating, doing business and, and, and creating companies that that do allow people, that express an ethical vantage point in the world, that are doing something to help the communities, that are doing something to help, you know, clean the environment, et cetera. And that if you're not doing something like that, a lot of people are like, hmm, I think I'll go elsewhere. Yeah, and I believe so much in the power of consumers because at the end of the day, a, a, an organization needs to make a profit. And a lot of the companies I work with, it's about setting strategy and improving operations and so forth. But the power of the consumer is ultimate to make um, make decisions, make your voice heard on social media. And I think enough companies are making decisions around, quote unquote, doing the right thing, of course, because they, they want to do it, but also because they know that there's a critical mass of consumers out there who actually care. There will always be some who either don't care or actually are against what you do. There was a fascinating example in the, the European Soccer Cup last year where UEFA, the, the, the organizing association, said we cannot allow for rainbow-colored uh, uh, stadiums or flags because we are a non-political organization. And the immediate response was that a lot of sponsors of the Euro Cup, every, every large ones, Volkswagen, Coca-Cola, they came out with, with rainbow-colored advertisements and statements. And of course, there were some who were against that. I mean, they were very vocal on social media. But these companies said, look, there are enough people who, who believe this is the right thing to do, and so do we. And we're going to actually take a stand on values. Taking a stand on values, I think, is something that is coming more and more to the forefront. Uh, I would agree. I had a beautiful man on my show, uh, Frank Calderoni, who's the CEO of Anaplan. He wrote a book called 
upstanding and it's, it's about mm. company character and he's they, that exact same point Nikolai he's saying is you have to take a stand as an organization on whatever mm. your values are not be wishy-washy in the middle kind of thing yeah you're going to alienate some people but you're yep. going to get the people who say yep yeah, that's my that's what I stand for and so he was really putting forth the importance of of, of standing on your values and, and yeah. standing for and activating from your values and I think that's really critical in today's time something different as well I think yeah yeah I mean employees care and, and consumers care back to your point around what makes people stay in organizations mm-hmm so we 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 served this up in the last segment, Nikolai. The you know kind of what's going on with the employee invo- employee voice and what are the best organizations doing to improve or enhance engagement. Now I'm interested to hear your perspective on some of the more immediate things that leaders can can do or need to address right now in these pandemic times um, to address the desires of of talent. What they need to be doing. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. I mean, one is the feedback culture. So we talked about employee voice, which is at an organizational level, but I definitely don't want the, the technology shouldn't be the answer. The te- technology is a is a is a means to an end, and that the end is actually fostering more employee uh, openness and and um, and feedback. And at a, at a team level for individual leader, it's about creating the space and and really creating the psychological safety for employees to feel comfortable that they can speak up without being reprimanded. Um, and also creating transparency where the leader can admit if things are going well and what are, what's not going well. And that's that takes a lot of vulnerability, but ultimately we see it time and time again that when a leader can do that, create the space, employees aren't against the leader. They actually want to help. You know, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. We collectively feel like we're not perhaps, uh, we're not meeting our business objectives. How can we do things better? We want to achieve them, right? We want to work together. Mm-hmm. What I've seen in, in my in my work experience, Nicole, I'd love for you to weigh in on this, is that um, I've seen that when organizations say, well, we do want to hear what, what employees have to say and what their experience is, and then when, when they hear it, they're like, well, no, that's not right. <laughs> they, 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 they denounce that they don't believe it because it doesn't align with their experience or they, yep. they just don't see it that way. And I think that is a result of both generational differences in values that show up. Um, and it's also just a very, you know, sort of maybe an isolated sort of experience of, you know, the employee base from the leaders who actually, you know, are stewarding the organization. What's your perspective or experience of, of that disconnect? Yeah, I, I, it's not an easy transition. It can, or it can be a difficult transition. So if there is a company where the culture is not open to feedback and it's been like that for a long time and employees aren't comfortable speaking up, it's, it's absolutely not easy to change. Uh, and it can take, it's a multi-year journey for some. Uh, we also see in the data that the, the more senior leaders are actually more positive. Um, their sentiment is more positive in terms of how they yeah. think the organization is being mm-hmm. run than employees think it, it is. So that's definitely a disconnect where they say, I, you know, this doesn't align with my experience. I very engaged and I understand the strategy and I can state my opinion. So how can the employees not state that? Um, but it, and that's often that's often the shift that the senior leadership team at a really deep personal level, they need to have a bit of an aha moment and say, you know, what are we doing to cause this culture, this sentiment that we're hearing? And then ultimately, do we care enough to to want to do something about it? And the yeah. answer is, I've seen many positive examples of let's do something, but there are also cases where the senior there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And me too, likewise. So let's now, we're getting close to the end here, um, you know, leaders often say they want ambitious people working for them, people that are up to something in life. 
um, but they, they may not be providing the opportunities that those people actually want. And so how can organizations create environments where those ambitious people can really thrive? They stick around and this is their mm. chance. Well, it's kind of coming back to, you know, full circle to the notion of ambition and it being very holistic. I think the first thing is for organizations to to um, open up the dialogue around what are the ambitions of our employees and as a manager, fostering that discussion. So instead of being really surprised when someone leaves the company or doing everything you can to prevent this person from leaving, we know that people are on, on average leave companies every three to five years. Like it's, it's just the way the world works now. Um, instead of having that mindset that you cannot leave, Try to open up the discussion. What are you as an employee passionate about? What are you trying to achieve in life You know, beyond, beyond what you do between nine to five? And where does it align with what we're trying to do as a company? And how can we actually work together and meet in the middle? So I think it's creating that space for ambition more broadly. That, that'll definitely help um, keep or keep, have an uh, environment where ambitious people thrive. So that goes back to what you said before about the, and we're not talking about the employee experience, we're talking about the employee life experience that we're trying to address and elevate. And employee ambition. I mean, we we don't assume every employee wants to become CEO of the company, right? Should they have dreams? Let's try to understand them. Let's engage with them. Mm -hmm. Matthew Kelly is the dream manager. Here we come. Sounds good. Um, well, we've done it already, Nikolai. We've already we've already gone through the whole time on the on the show here. I I want to give you the opportunity to close the show as you like. You know, the show is listened to by listeners and viewers across the world. We're all about trying to create and, and advance the conversation about how to create workplaces where people actually want to come to work, do their best. We create inspirational leaders. We do business that betters the world. What would you like to leave us with today? Be bold and set a direction, an inspiring direction, but then simultaneously learn along the way. Be very open to, look, we haven't figured this out. I don't think any company has figured out the quote-unquote future of work model. But let's try to see what works. Let's listen to our employees and let's learn along the way. Hmm, beautiful, Nikolai. I am so very, very happy I found you. Thank you for being willing to say accept my LinkedIn invitation when I said, hey, I want to have you come on my show. And thank you for being on and sharing your beautiful work and your perspective with our listeners and viewers. Just invaluable. Thank you. I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you so much for the conversation. Absolutely. More to come. And by the way, I know you're working on another book, so you'll have to come back. So, Absolutely. Uh, right. Okay. So listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Nikolai Chien uh, Nelson, Nielsen, his books or the work he does, just start by going to returnonambition.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a re recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dan McClure, system architect and chief choreographer at Innovation Ecosystem, talking about this his this creative and necessary approach to addressing the wicked combination of confronting organizations today of urgent threats and exceptional opportunities and how to disrupt business trends. He made cracking the code and curious problem solving accessible for us all. Next week, we'll be on the air with Stephen Morris, a culture, brand, and business consultant talking about his new book called A Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.